Blog Talk Radio.
Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV, Big Mind Entertainment, um, WCOM in Chapel Hill. The studios there, we thank them for uh, allowing us to broadcast the show from there. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for checking in with us. Want to go to the phones, bring in our guest. He's the head football coach at Norfolk State in his first season. Uh, getting ready for a big game September 4th uh, at Toledo. He is Dawson Odoms. And, Coach Odoms, we appreciate you coming on, on the show, sir. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So um, I think one of the, the biggest things that people uh, wonder about is when you transition, and I mean, you've been in, in this business for a long time, and and had a lot of success at Southern and other places. But when you you look at um, this this transition into um, taking over uh, for the Spartans uh, in the midst of COVID, uh, how difficult or maybe not at all? How, what's been the transition for you with this? Well, it's been some it's been some obstacles that you have to overcome. But I think the biggest thing is trusting your process, uh, believing in the people that's around you. And I have a chance to work for great people here at Norfolk State. Uh, our president, Dr. Adams Gaston, is very very good. Student Center University uh, really supported me in becoming a part of the, of the Spartan family. I athletic director Melanie Webb. She did an outstanding job of selling the vision of the athletic department and just giving us an opportunity to come in together, I thought that was big. And I think the transition is no different, uh, whether you can be with your team or not with your team. Uh, I focus on the process of controlling the things that I can and putting the right things in place and the right pieces of the puzzle together to try to make sure we give ourselves the best chance to be successful. You know, you're a – uh, a native from North Carolina, so it's sort of a homecoming for you, coming from Shelby. But I mean, you've been all over the uh, the map with the success at um, at Southern in particular. Um, you know, winning a, a SWAC championship there, being coach of the year there, and uh, you've been in the MIAC and CIAA as well, and playing there. What what do you? What's the biggest things you bring to the table for? Norfolk State and and this team, and we'll, and we'll get into some of your returning starters. Well, I just think it's process-driven. Uh, I think the business approach of mine, that it's not just that I'm a football coach. I believe that I'm a mentor, a father. I believe in loving and caring for the individuals that play for me. I believe in discipline. I think that's the forefront. Uh, I believe in uh, faith. I believe in family. I believe in making sure these guys have an understanding that this opportunity is about them becoming a complete young man, not just a good football player. We want to see them chase ABCs, championships, and degrees. We want them to be successful fathers and husbands. And I think that's what Dawson Odoms is all about. And we call it the process. The process is everything to me. Uh, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to talk about it. But one of the key ingredients in the process is this one. I believe that young men thrive for it. They just need someone to be consistent in their approach and their delivery. And I think that's what I'm bringing this program. Uh, the talent is here. Now, can we put it all together? I think time will determine it. But we're off to a good start. They're buying in. They're believing. And now we just need some success to happen so that 
we can showcase to the world what we think is a hidden gem up here in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, if you're just joining us, of course, uh, we're, we're talking with Dawson Odom's head football coach at the Norfolk State University Spartans getting ready for their season in a couple of weeks, uh, right around the corner. How excited are you? Um, I mean, with COVID, it shut down everything, practices and, and games. How excited are you and your staff, the players, ready to get at it? Well, you know, the players haven't played in a year and a half or so. But we was fortunate we had a chance to play in the spring, and it was difficult. But things are only difficult if you don't have the mindset to do what it takes to overcome it. Uh, life's going to happen. No matter what happens in life, we know life is going to happen. And you just have to have the right mindset and the right mentality. Uh, we can't control certain things that happen. But when we get the, when we understand the problem, uh, I believe in focusing on the solution. There's no need to keep addressing the problem. Let's find solutions. Let's Let's come up with new ideas. Let's get creative in our approach. Let's surround ourselves with good people that understand that as well. And I think that's what has made the transition so much better. I think our players are understanding that as we get this process, talk to them. Uh, you can't control certain things in life. Uh, I can't control whether or not someone tests positive. Uh, we know that in this COVID world that we're living in, it's going to happen. Next guy got to be ready, and that's the mentality you got to have. And that's the understanding you got to have. It could be one of your better players that may have to sit. But what, at the end of the day, this is the hand that you dealt. You got to try to make sure you do the best with it. We try to dot our I's and cross our T's when it comes to that approach. And I think our players are having a great understanding of it and assistant coaches. And if we can stay on the same page, I think we have a great chance. You know, you, you talk about transition and the players and, and understanding the process. You hear a lot of coaches preach that, but, you know, I I applaud you to talking about, you know, not just teaching them football, but teaching them to be men in society. But when what have you – have you had any upperclassmen that kind of took the mantle and said, here, coach, we're here to – to help you. I know you had the spring football. Uh, talk about some of those upperclassmen and some of those uh, special guys really um, kind of helped your transition to be, you know, a lot easier for you. Well, you know, we didn't have spring football. I was I was still in Baton Rouge during the spring. I got right. here in the April and over the summer, the players are just, they understand uh, we understand this is a business. This is not just college athletics we're talking about. We're talking about college football. This is a multi-million dollar business, and that's what we talk about all the time. We are a Fortune 500 company that's got great employees, and that's our players. And we want them to understand that this product can only become more successful if you buy into believing that it's a good product. I tell them Coca-Cola is good because all the people that sell Coke believe in it. Norfolk State football should be the same way. It's a reason we got a 30,000-seat stadium. It's because we believe that we can fill that stadium up. But you need a product to go along with it, and you need wins. So these players are starting to understand that we're talking to them that I'm not the head coach, I'm the CEO. And one day you're going to have an opportunity to be the CEO of your company, and we hope that you learn some valuable lessons here by being a product of this organization to help you grow further in life. It's a business approach. Every day is about winning the day and making sure our players understand that no one will come watch a bad business. So let's give them what all the fans deserve. That's a good product. And every day we're working hard to try to deliver a good product. 
And you, you're doing a, a great job talking with um, Dawson Odoms. Of course, he's the head football coach at Norfolk State University. Uh, coach, let's let's talk about your philosophy. I mean, did, from Clark to Southern to now and Norfolk with, you know, the, the stops in between, you, you've had the, the playing time, the coaching time. What's your philosophy? Um, what Spartan fans cannot um, come to – see offensively and defensively without, you know, giving up all your, <laughs> all your information? Well, we'll spread, we'll spread team on offense. We have a lot of weapons on offense. We can spread you goal line to goal line, sideline to sideline. We're very good at the running back position, the quarterback position, has a, a lot of talent at the O-line position, great receivers coming back deep at the tight end position. So we, we have pieces on that to the puzzle on offense. It's just putting it together and playing consistent. And the only way you're going to do that is that you become a more disciplined football team. And that's really what our philosophy is, is to be consistent, take what the defense gives us, and, and don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Play the game the way it's supposed to be played, but play it with the right emotion, the, the right composure, and the right discipline. If we do those things, we're going to be successful on offense. Defensively, we're going to stop the run. Uh, I'm a defensive guy. We're going to stop the run. We believe that you know, we have a great chance of winning football games when we stop the run. Uh, we got to be able to play well on third down. We got to be able to play well in the red zone. I think if you do that and create some turnovers in defense, protect the ball on offense, play with great effort, I think you got a chance to be successful. And then our special teams, we got to be really creative and unique on special teams. And I think we got some players that's going to embrace. We practice special teams a lot. And hopefully that gives us a chance to win some ball games. But we've got to be a complete team. One component has to complement the other. I believe when we're able to do that, we'll find a lot more success. And hopefully we find that in the near future. You know, one of the things, a couple of quick questions, Coach. I appreciate you staying on. Um, you know, with your success, I mean, you you won 75%, 76% of your games over your career, including in the SWAC. Um, is there anything particular that you go in? It it sounds like I know what you would say, but when you go in into a home and you're talking to, you know, a a, a guy's a, a son's of, you know, parents about what you're going to do and why they should now come to Norfolk State, you know, what do you tell them? Is it uh, about being men? About being, you know, um, it's you know, running it like a Fortune 500, like you said. Um, or, you know, also the success that you've had on the field, because, again, you won a SWAT championship, you've been successful where you've been. Um, is it a, a mixture of both? What will you tell the parents when you go into these living rooms? Well, the first thing I think is all about <clears throat> academics. I think that's, that's the priority. Uh, I think when you talk about HBCUs and you talk about the next generation of leaders, you talk about the future of Americans, the future of our country, the future internationally. We got to prepare a young man for a unique experience that's called life. And I believe Norfolk State has everything from a resource standpoint to be able to prepare your young man for life. From an educational standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, from a resource standpoint, we are Norfolk State University. And we don't say that and we don't take that lightly because we really believe we have a product that can stand up to anybody in the country. And if young men want to go to the pros, you can get there from Norfolk State. We have a list of guys that have already done it before you. If you want to get a good degree that's going to equip you with the tools and equip you with the ticket for life, 
then we paint Norfolk State degrees or hold up against anybody. I tell people when you come to Norfolk State, it's not about your degree. It's about the people that you're going to meet along this journey. A degree means nothing until we put your name on it, but we will teach you how to sell yourself and represent this family completely. I believe that any young man that's excited about going to college, the green and gold is the place to be. They always say, our market, our brand is behold, the green and gold. That means something not only to me but to the young man that come in this program. We got something that we're building here, and I think every young man should take a look at a great university like Norfolk State. A lot of people don't know about it, but in due time, we believe that we're going to rise up and be accounted for because we think this is something special. A lot of people hear about other schools, but this place is special, and I believe it's my responsibility to help bring that notoriety to a place that they're so needed. We have a great fan base. We have electric people. We have great energy. We have a great student body. This is a great place for you to come participate in Greek life. You only join the band. We have one of the best bands in the country. Everything you will want to be able to groom yourself and grow yourself to learn and grow, you can get that right here in Norfolk State University. And I believe Dawson Owens, as your head football coach, will be able to help you as an extension of your family that every time in six months you go home, we should see a difference in you. You know, you you have a very unique schedule, too, um, and um, some TV broadcasts. It, it, we'll get to the, the keys to Toledo, but, I mean, you start with them, then you play the ACC Network against Wake, and you go CIAA, Elizabeth City State, San Fran, uh, um, um, St. Francis of Pennsylvania, and then you take on a rival uh, at home against Hampton, of course, now in a different conference as well. That What went into – um, this schedule when it was put together? Uh, <clears throat> this schedule was made prior to me uh, coming to Norfolk State. Uh, but I really believe it give us some, some diversity. It give us uh, some national exposure. And I think that's what you want. You want to be able to expose the young man to different things in life. And the MEAC conference is great exposure for a young man from an environment standpoint, from a social standpoint but allow them to go to other venues such as Toledo and Wake Forest and then been able to play probably a one-time rival in Elizabeth City. Uh, it's it just give our guys a chance for a great exposure, and I think that's something that most young men would love to have, and I think coming to Norfolk State allow you to receive that. Question before we get to Toledo. What, um, you know, of course, the NCAA is – uh, temporarily, I use that word, allowed um, some of the student-athletes um, based on their image to be compensated in in some way. Uh, you know, we saw a kid at Johnson C. Smith got the Bojangles contract there in Charlotte. It's a local thing. What do you think of that? Do you think that that takes away from – some of the focus that needs to be on the field, some of the focus that needs to be in the in the rooms, or is this a, a good and long time coming for some of these student athletes? Uh, you referring to the transfer portal? Can you hear me? Yeah, so some of the kids that um, you know that are um, getting uh, endorsement deals from some of the local businesses oh, in there. Oh, like NIL. Okay. Yeah, the NIL stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's great. We have some guys doing it here in our place, and they're doing it for all the right reasons. As long as they're doing it the right way and it's not compromising their eligibility, 
I support young men that are trying to do things the right way. And a lot of schools make a lot of money on these young men, and they should have a, a, a say-so in, in developing their brand because that's what the world is. It's about brand, brand sales. So if you have something that you can offer, why not be able to capitalize on that? Uh, it's tough being a college student, but to see these guys that are doing it for us <clears throat> and the way they're doing it and see the fun that they're having and they're doing it the right way, uh, I support our young men as long as they're doing it the right way. I think it's something that can be great as long as people do it the right way. Uh, just making sure you educate them and keep them up to speed on, on what they can and cannot do and what's allowed by your state and your university. I think when you go over those things with young men and you get them an opportunity to make those decisions, I'm happy when they're able to get those deals. Yeah, especially when they lose their eligibility if they take oodles and noodles from an agent or something. So it just it's really ridiculous, and I, I agree with you. I mean, it's a long time coming. Still not getting what they want, but NIL at least is, is some start. Uh, speaking of start, uh, you, you're you on the road in Toledo September 4th against this Toledo uh, team, ESPN3 game, so you'll get the national exposure that you're talking about. Um, what do you know about this Toledo team? Um, nothing. Uh, we ain't counting. <laughs> We're just trying to get better. We're focusing on us. Uh, I think it'll be time for us to focus on Toledo, and when that time comes, we'll be we'll be more than ready uh, to look forward to them and accept the challenge that's in front of us. But right now, we're focusing on the Spartans getting getting better every day, and that's really something that we need to focus on because these guys haven't played football in a while. And just getting ready for a game and know that we're going to get to play this year. It's exciting for them. But we got to play at a certain level with a certain intensity, and that's what we're focusing on every day. Is it, is, has it been any kind of challenge with the protocols, you know, in terms of masks and, and all those things with COVID, in terms of your practices? Has they been as intense as you want them to be? Yeah, uh, we just, whatever the protocols we have in place, uh, that's what discipline has to kick in. Guys have to know what they can and can't do and, and make sure they, they do the right things. And that's the biggest part of being successful during this COVID season is making sure that you do your part as a student athlete, as a team. And that's what we're trying to make sure our guys are holding each other accountable and doing the right thing. But we've been practicing. Uh, we haven't had any interferences, and, and hopefully we can continue that. Uh, because I really believe the team that can get to the gate with the most people is going to have the best opportunity to be successful. So far, so good. Hopefully, we can stay stay on that track. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's it's that that's the challenge is to make sure that everybody's safe. But, but coach, I mean, uh, best of luck to you. I mean, you uh, like I said, everything you've touched, the Midas touched, wherever you've been, you've had the success in seventy six percent winning percentage and. SWAC Championship Coach of the Year uh, uh, did well there. You had the, your stops along the way in the LCIAA and 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 with A&T. And so uh, best of luck to you, sir. Um, let's make this the first of many uh, interviews, and, and good luck on uh, September 4th. Well, I appreciate it. Anytime I can get a chance to come on and, and talk about our great institution, uh, I'm all for that, and I thank you for inviting me. Behold, the green and gold. Mm. Thanks, Coach. We appreciate you, man. Thanks. 
Tabasi News Radio Show. Stay tuned. is an in-home healthcare agency focused on providing high-quality service and customer satisfaction for our clients while providing a professional staff that meets all the client's expectations. With over 11 years of service in the industry, Beyond Healthcare Agency goes above and beyond the personal needs of our clients by taking a deliberate approach and interest in making sure all the needs of the client are met. Whether it's Medicaid-related issues, communicating with their caseworkers, and so much more, we assist clients from medical transportation, meal preparation, hygiene and grooming, to just being a companion in times of need. Medicaid, private pay, and long-term insurance accepted. Daily or weekly care are available upon request. Beyond Healthcare, 2617 Chapel Hill Boulevard, Suite A in Durham, North Carolina, is affordable, reliable, and insured. For info, call 919-249-5753. You can email them at homecare at beyondhealthcare.info or visit them at beyondhealthcare.info. Beyond Healthcare Agency, we go the extra mile. to the show. It's the Bachelor News Radio show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM. If you miss any part of the broadcast, uh, you can go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro and listen to the show and catch all of the um, the rebroadcasts at 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. on most days. Uh, back to the phones. i bring in my good friend, um, of course, host of the Gray Leopard Coal. He is Gary Norris Gray. G and G, what's going on, man? What's up? What's going on, man? 
Hey, man, sorry uh, for the delay. Listen, uh, as we were playing, the mind's playing tricks on us. Is the mind playing tricks on us in, in, in terms of us seeing more of these changes when it comes to the organizations, whatever sport it would be, that are looking to show the respect and the homage to these Native American um, folks that, you know, these these names are, are put in there. We talked about Cleveland. We talked about Edmonton in your article. But is this a sign of a good times to come? The problem, it seems, though, well, I should start by saying Daniel Snyder changed it, and I don't know what he's going to change it if it's going to be Washington football for years to come. But he's still making money. He's printing money. Yep. So what's the big deal in changing the name? You're going to show some respect to a group of people who deserve it, and you still one of the top five in all of football, um, well, and, me, and probably me, top me, ten in all the sports. There. In 19, uh, 1919, uh, 1919, the Washington Football Club was number nine, number nine, on the uh, income list, it's up from nine to number four. It's a fourth meaning a franchise in America. Number four. What are you doing? Right. And that, that's that's the point. That, that, so it, it's got to be, you know, I, I, I say this all the time that, you know, Gary, and it really goes beyond any race that Americans are very arrogant. We're going to do it our way. You're not going to tell us what to do. It's it's my business. I own it. You're not going to tell me how to run my business. You're not going to tell me wear a mask. You're not going to tell me anything. So I think that's got to be the biggest part. If it's gone from nine to four and he changed the name to the Washington Football Club, 
then it that speaks for itself right there. Well, what what the what the enmity to me to me told me the world that this can be done. It can be done quickly. It can be done amicably. And it can be done with both sides between other things. Why the The more I look at this, the more arrogant they are. Right. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's it's just amazing um, where some some things that we've seen in this country have changed due to, I mean, honestly, young people, young people, this, this and young for, for, for us, you know, in their 30s and stuff, they, they are making the change. Um, but some things, you know, you have to really drag people into the, into this 2021 and so uh kicking and scratching we still have um people that don't want to you know acknowledge covid in some shape or form we still i mean you can go to gun control it's a bunch of different things that people are still not willing to to give up or at least to have some kind of open discussion about it and the name change disabled people are are on that list that they just don't want to change. Um, and I, I think, Gary, I don't know, you know, you to have the, the, the glass half full guy, but, I mean, it's just some things that just seem like we're going to, we will die and there will still be that that issue uh, out uh, there. Uh, it's, it's, about, it's about this. It's about your self-worth. Your self-honor, your self See, what happened to America is this. You had a leader, you had a leader who, who did not care for certain people, did not care for certain groups, and it was allowed, it was allowed to fester, it was allowed to grow, and now it was allowed to kill people. Okay? You can't have that. You just cannot allow that to happen. America had to change. When I was 20 years old, I thought I got 60, which I'm 60 now. I thought the world would be a beautiful place. Well, guess what? We're still fighting the same fight when I was 20 years old. That cannot be happening. Well, you know, Gary, you are an old guy, just so for the record, you're an old guy. You know that. <laughs> but um much much older than I am, and so just wanna throw that in there. But uh, I, <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I do think it really comes down and I want you to hold the line. I I do think it comes down, um to money and to compassion. People have to have compassion. People have to love humanity. That's why a lot of these things don't change. If you don't love people as human beings, then you have no respect for their way of life. Everybody wants to, you know, I'm going to do it my way, and that's fine. That's fine. But, 
there's another side to that. Um, and I think people don't really understand that. We're going to come back to Gary in just a bit, bring in uh, Nick Anastas on the Best News Radio Show. Take care. Before Boost, our phone bill was obscene. So we switched to Boost and got lines for the whole family with unlimited gigs for a much more family-friendly price. It's nice to have a phone bill that doesn't require parental controls. Your family deserves better. Get four lines for only $25 per line, each with unlimited gigs. Plus, get up to four free Samsung J7 perks with six months of Hulu where you can stream all the shows everyone is talking about. All on the super reliable and super fast nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. to the show. I want to go back to the phones, bring in my guest. Of course, he's the owner of Anastas Media. He's play-by-play voice of UMass Lowell Basketball, Nick Anastas. Nick, always good to have you on. I know you heard uh, uh, Gary and I's conversation about these changes. I know Edmonton uh, changed their name, and it seems to be this this snail walk when it comes to um, you know, changes when it comes to Native Americans and the, the the respect or lack thereof when it comes to these organizations. Again, I I, I respect people on a business. I own a business, um, but it has to be some form of compassion that goes into these when you look at it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's outdated, um, especially when you start talking about the mascots. Um, you know, the University of Illinois comes to mind. Uh, I think got rid of uh, the mascot there, you know, mimicking Native American spiritual dances, um, just treating the whole culture willy nilly. I think, I think it's been long overdue. Um, you know, and for fans to attach their loyalty to a particular name doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Right. You know, it, it used to be. It used to be fan loyalty resided to the city, right, or, or the region or the state or, or whatever it is, the closest professional team to where you are. I mean, that's traditionally where the, uh, the loyalty is. Uh, you know, that's where they, they, they lay it originally. So the team name has always been kind of secondary. Um, you know, it's a very sensitive issue, especially when it comes to the, uh, to the past, 
and you know the, the Native American tribes in this country, et cetera. So you know, I think it's long overdue, and uh, I have no problem with it moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's well long overdue. If we're into these, you know, a few other long overdue things, that that should be one of them. You can still have your sports, you can still have your team, and then you change the name. It's you know, it's a win-win for everybody. Uh, I'm speaking of uh, teams and and New England, and I'll get to the the, the rookies. I'll, I'll ask Gary's thoughts too, but you know. The one thing, Mac Jones looked pretty good for the Patriots, you know, 13 and 19 or whatever he was, um, you know, threw for much more yardage. You know, obviously Cam Newton wasn't in the game as long, so he didn't get as many opportunities. But it to me it seems like there's is set up for Mac Jones to take over day one, number one. And then number two, I mean, out of those five rookies, if you can't scramble – if you can't make plays with your feet in this day and age, that might be an issue. I know he's got the genius and Belichick there and all that, but what, what do you think of his, his performance and 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 him moving forward? Well, it looks. We'll start with Jones, I guess. It looked pretty uh, pretty routine. I mean, the moment wasn't too big. Again, I think coming from Alabama is, is a big edge in that. You know, playing in front of the packed house, playing in the big games, playing in the national championship, playing a preseason game, you know, at the NFL level is not going to overwhelm him. He looked like he was in control. He looked comfortable. The footwork, I think, is a question moving forward. Can he create if if something breaks down? I think that's kind of yet to be seen. But, I mean, the whole thing looks scripted and smooth from a preparation standpoint. Um you know, is Mac the guy right now? Is he the preferable option right now? I still would would I still would give Cam the the benefit of the doubt. Again, we've talked about this full preseason this time around, second year with the playbook, second year with his teammates. Um, you know, he didn't even get to meet a lot of those guys until basically they threw pads on and gave him a jersey last year. I think he's still got a little gas in the tank, and you know. As long as you have that luxury and Newton is playing well, all the better for Jones behind him, in my opinion. The more preparation, the better. But if that's a a direction where, you know, Jones has a killer preseason, he looks like he's ready to go, uh, then I would not be shocked. Uh, Again, not what I'm predicting, but I wouldn't be shocked if Jones ended up as the week one starter. A lot has been said, you know, speaking of him and the other uh, four kids, San Fran, and um, obviously in um, Chicago, and so on and so forth. They, uh, we've had a lot of people, and the so-called pundits, are talking about how this class could be as great as '83. And I know you were a young lad then, but you know the '83 class, Marino and company there. And then you got, you right. know, the Roethlisberger, the Philip Rivers, the Net you know, Eli Manning class there. But when you look at the those rookie quarterbacks and, and the way they played, and it's only one game, obviously, and it's preseason, so they're not going to see any real, you know, real defenses, a lot of vanilla stuff, a lot of zone and stuff. Um, but do you see this class 
potentially being as good or or better? I think it's way too early for that. It, it, it seems like every four or five years that that becomes the talk, right? There'll be a strong quarterback class in the draft, and then all of a sudden the number 83, the year 83, will keep popping up in conversation. Um, it's a talented group, I think. I think the gap between high-level NCAA play, uh, SEC play, and the NFL continues to shrink. I think the more and more we see pro-style offenses in the college game, uh, the more and more ready to go I think these these athletes from the top five conferences will continue to be. So I I think that's kind of a, a macro trend overall. But as far as the 83 comparisons, I mean, let's let's pump the brakes. Uh, that's that's a draft class that produced several Hall of Famers. If this group can produce several full-time starters, then I think that's a pretty good place to start, so to speak. But um, it went way, way, way too early for that kind of talk, in my opinion. Who looked the best, though? I mean, again, uh, I, I thought Zach Wilson – he had a little chip on his shoulder. He would, the way he was playing, and Justin Fields was saying the game was kind of slow for him. And, uh, you know, uh, we saw what um, the the kid in San Fran did. Uh, it, he, he struggled a little bit on the short-term uh, passes, but you, you see he's got the arm that he can get the ball down the field. So out of those five, but who, you, who did you think um, had the best week one of preseason? I think probably Fields with Chicago, and that may be the most intriguing of the scenarios, in my opinion, uh, because they got they got a pretty good path to the playoffs if he if he pans out in year one. They got a serviceable running game, serviceable weapons on the outside, a very good defense that basically carried them last year to eight and eight. Um, you know, so if they can catch lightning in the bottle with again a kid who played big time college football was a big-time recruit coming out of high school, and had a big-time performance, right? I mean, he, he looked good. He was in the end zone. He looked comfortable. Um, you know, regardless of what he said after the game, he looked like the real deal. And, you know, with, with his kind of style, that running style, that new school style, um, it would be an interesting fit if it, if it can work. Now, Chicago screwed plenty of things up in the past, as we know. But uh, if they can get an answer at quarterback, that, that's really the only thing I think they need uh, to solidify their playoff chances. Yeah, and they're, they're really uh, – they've never really had a quarterback when you think about it. I mean, Jim McMahon, Jim McMahon was a tough guy and everything, but he kind of got out of the way for that – probably arguably people say that the greatest defense, you know, in 85. Uh, so they really not, never had any kind of stud guy that you, you know, when the game's on the line, you feel like the quarterback can win the game for you. So that that's right. the, the interesting part of it. And Nagy might get a, um, he might get a pass if they struggle because they went and got this kid. And if, you know, if he struggles a little bit, do you think that he should be, Starting week one, or do you think you know it should be Andy Dalton or, or uh, as I guess Nick Foles um, starting before he gets in there? And if so, when should he get in? I think they'll probably treat it the same way that uh, Miami treated Tua last year, where regardless of the start that the veteran starter brings you, 
in uh, Miami's Clay case last year. They were three and three with Fitzpatrick. They had seen enough in practice where they felt like they were ready to give him the keys, and uh, they didn't make the playoffs, Miami. But I think the future's bright there. Um, so, so I could see a similar thing happening here, where it's either Dalton or Foles. Um, you know, for the first month or so, maybe five or six weeks until they deem Fields ready. If not week one, um, then it, it's going to be sooner rather than later, I think, because both Foles and Dalton have ceilings. I mean, we know who they are. We know what they're going to do. They're not likely going to surprise anybody. You know, best-case scenario, if you go with one of those two, you just don't turn it over. Lean on that run game a little bit. Lean on that defense. Manage the football game. But, again, with Fields, uh, it's a little bit of an X factor. I think they're a little bit more dynamic because of what he brings to the table athletically. So I I think once Mm. Coach Nagy and that staff gets comfortable with what they see at practice, I think that likely will be the determining factor, regardless of what their win record, uh, win-loss record is at the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're excited there. They they really want to see this go well. Uh, for the team and and for this kid. We're talking with Nick Anastas, of course, here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on WCOM, IBM TV, and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Nick, uh, switching gears uh, to baseball, I don't, you know, um, Angels may not make uh, the playoffs, obviously, the way back and wild card and everything, but what this kid Oshani is doing is very special. And I don't know if yeah, maybe it's a, a West Coast thing, uh, and, and baseball folks are probably talking about it, but I just don't know if he's getting the kind of credit he deserves to, to be able to do what he's doing. It's, it's, it's something we haven't seen in, in quite some time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I first heard about him a few years ago, I, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it would translate uh, to the majors, but it did, obviously. <laughs> Excuse me. Keep in mind, he didn't pitch at all for a whole year. Right. He, he, he had, uh, was it Tommy John? He, he had yeah. knee surgery where he didn't pitch right for, for an entire season. Comes back and seemingly doesn't miss a beat. He's in the rotation. He's hitting the long ball. Uh, it, it, it is remarkable. And, he, and in my opinion, he should be the MVP regardless of, of how the Angels you know, finish this thing up. I, I know there's other guys you can make a case for on better teams um, and I probably could be persuade, persuaded. But, again, based on the sheer fact that we haven't seen this for almost a century, we right. certainly have not seen it in times, not at this level. Um, you know, that, that has got to warrant some MVP consideration in its own right. And you got to think about that, too. With everybody knows – you know, we knew Babe Ruth pitched, but, you know, he's known for, you know, being a babe, knocking the ball all over the place. Um, and to see this, what, what he's doing, I think, I don't think people are giving him the credit. Speaking of, of Babe and, and, you know, Yankees Boston, uh, you know, Red Sox struggled a little bit. It's good, always good to get Baltimore to come to town to, to write you up a little bit. Um, still, them in Oakland in the, the, the right spot 
in terms of the wild card uh, with the Yankees um, on the outside looking in, unfortunately for, for me. Tampa still is very solid. Um, but what's what's been sort of the difference? I know they got, you know, they, they're trying to get the pitching help coming up. But they've they've struggled a lot lately. They're still, you know, hitting the the, the ball pretty well. But what what's been the issue with them? Five of their last ten in terms of uh, wins. What's been the issue with the Red Sox over the last say month? I think we talked before. I, I think the pitching is is coming back down to where where we thought it would be on paper at the beginning of the year. I think they surprised a lot of people. That rotation was kind of held together by duct tape and WD-40 for a while. Uh, guys stepped up. Guys played better than than expected. They pitched better than expected. And, um, you know, those those chickens have kind of come home to roost. The offense has still been there. They, they're still explosive. We saw that to the tune of 20 runs in one game last week, 16 in another. I mean, those bats are still going to produce. But can they get the big – you know, the big strikeout, the big out defensively uh, when it matters. I think that's always been the question, and I think that's going to be the, the question going into the last five or six weeks. Um, you know, we'll see about Chris Sale. That, that of course, is, is still kind of the big unknown. Um, you know, he's coming up on Friday again. He's, you know, supposedly healthy, supposedly now the unquestioned ace. Uh, Rodriguez has been very good as of late. He's been he's been good at this year as well. Uh, but it gets thin after that. You know, Evaldi ideally is kind of a long guy. You know, he started I think in the bullpen with Tampa years ago. Got kind right. of stretched into stretched into either a long reliever or a fifth starter, kind of a patch starter. Um, you know, he had to anchor the whole rotation at times throughout this year. So. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what you can continue to ask him to do. Uh, now maybe that he's, you know, settled into that three role with Pavetta behind him, that's, that, you know, that may, that may take a little bit of pressure off him. But he hasn't been the same lately, the last month or so, as he was the first three months. And, you know, Pavetta, young, good, you know, healthy right-hander in his prime. He's been better than expected. So, I mean, we'll see. You mentioned – you know, Baltimore comes to town. It's a get-right scenario. Sox have won three in a row. As long as they can stay in the race and make this thing competitive, if they fall short in the end, I think they gave uh, the fans more than their money's worth either way. Yeah, and Jared Cole comes back, came back uh, officially today um, at the time of this broadcast uh, for the Yankees. But I, I, I think you're right with Rodriguez. He's been solid. I think he's been the key, really. Uh, if he stays steady and and sale could be well, they they get the bullpen to 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 go above and beyond. I think they, they if they don't win the division because Tampa look, looks really good, um, they they make the playoffs. Uh, Nick, as always, my friend, I appreciate your time, sir. We'll talk with you next week, man. Thank you. Sounds good, LA. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Nick Anastas, he's the owner of uh, Nassis Media and play-by-play voice of UMass Lowell Basketball on the Basketball News Radio Show. Stay tuned.
to promote my new flower shop. I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now at Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 62318. Blog Talk. back to the show if you missed part of our broadcast you make sure you go to our website thebassetnews.airtime.pro thebassetnews.airtime.pro uh gary gray still online i'm gonna come back to you again gary but what do you um before we get to our 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 next guest um your thoughts i know you said trey lance is the real deal i think so too yeah. uh, but what did you think about those other four quarterbacks i i thought um uh fields looked good and uh, and the kids for the Jets didn't look too bad either. No, uh, 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 the only downside was um, the guy in the guy in Jacksonville. Uh, I, I, I was not impressed with him. Yeah. Um, he had a better game this, this week. Uh, um, Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. He had yeah, a better game this week. Uh, he's in what? trouble. Um, Uh, he's the starter. He's gonna be the I guy, know, uh, with, and I, 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 that's why I'm with um, with people who are saying, you know, with Justin Fields, let him sit, even if the game is slow for him, and he's played, you know, he's played big time football and championships and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he's used to that, you know, that intensity. But you you don't want your franchise guy to probably if you know if the next decade works out or so you know, the best quarterback in the history of the franchise, or at least in modern day a franchise. I can't speak to, you know, way back when, but certainly um, even better than that, that 85 squad that, that, you know, I mean, just didn't give up anything um, defensively. But we'll we'll see. I'm going to go back to Gary. I want to bring in my guest. Of course, he is the um, first-year coach at uh, St. Augustine University. Uh, good to have him on for the first time. He is David Bowser. And, and Coach Bowser, we appreciate you coming on, sir. Okay, we'll get back to Coach Bowser in just a second. Gary, um, you know, uh, as I was mentioning, this this kid, his first play was a sack. So I mean they're talking about Trevor Lawrence from from Clemson and I'm I'm not a big fan of guys who um are coming out and they don't have an offensive line. I mean you it's like a dead man walking. Like why would you put yeah. your franchise guy in that position? Well, it reminds me of back in the 80s. Jim Plunkett, Jim Plunkett went to the the Patriots. Jim Plunkett got beat up at first. He really got beat up. This could be the this could be the the name for uh, Trevor Lawrence. He gonna get beat up. Yeah, it it it's 
when franchises do that, I mean, it's almost like it, we saw that with Peyton Manning. We saw that with um, same Andrew Luck. They threw him yes. out there. Of course, Andrew Luck was he had he was one of the rare that had the success. I think they won ten games this first year, um, and they went from one win to to ten. Um, you know the 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 Yeah. And, and, you know, Gary, they always, I I look at the so-called experts and, you know, they looked at some of these guys and, you know, they talked about how Lawrence showed poise and throwing the ball and, and, you know, um, some of the, you know, the kid from the Jets, you know, was trash talking already, showing his leadership skills. And then they get the to Justin Fields, and they're, they're breaking down what he did in the pocket as opposed to he did out the pocket. And okay, they're showing the, the thing about, you know. <laughs> thing about black quarterbacks and white quarterbacks, now, what people understand is when they talk about black quarterbacks, it's everything under the sun, outside of football. When they talk about white quarterbacks, Everything on the field, the outside, the outside, the and then you can't keep doing that. And this is what happened. Trey Lance, Trey Lance, with the Niners, and Justin Fields for the Bears, they yeah. are the real deal. They are the real deal. They can run, they can throw, and they understand the offense. So leave them alone. Well, it's the it's the it's the Ron Jaworski effect. You know, Jaworski would always say, you know, um, when it was like uh, you look at some of the black quarterbacks, stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket. Now we know when he stayed in the pocket, especially in that Super Bowl against the Raiders. I don't think Ron. I don't even think Ron Jaworski knows what day it is today. But he wants to, you know, he 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 wants them to stay in the pocket. I guess to take the beating that he did. Um, but it's no, always it's, like that. Uh, LA is about this. Football, the, the, the position of quarterback is changing. It's no longer a pocket as a position anymore. You can't do it. Well, that's why, that's why I said to when I asked Nick about, you know, um, Mac, Mac Jones with the, the Patriots. I mean, he yeah, he could be accurate and stuff, but you not accurate. Listen, I don't care how great a quarterback is. If you you play the game, you smack him in the mouth, and they gonna they gonna think twice. They're not yep. gonna stand in there all the time. And you know he's the only one out of the five that really doesn't scramble. And this is a scrambling league now. These quarterbacks run, so run and throw. And Justin Fields is the best of the best. And of course they said about him that he can't process plays well or or the 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 game is slow for him Gary athletically but it's not slow for him mentally. Well, so he, he, he's af- he's athletic but he's stupid basically. There are 20 24 24 black quarterbacks right now. 24. Six are definitely starters. Six. Another six are possible starters. The NFL, they got to get used to it. That's what they're going to be. 
Yep. You're absolutely right. And I, I think, Gary, to me, and I know you said you saw Trey Lance kill your school, but I think Justin might be the better of them. Trey Lance will probably be good, but I think Justin Fields might be slightly better. Trey Lance had a, a good, a good, um, a good college football team behind him. And, and that's why he was so good, because he had a line, and he had receivers that he gets his balls. That's, that's why he beat up a by, by school. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, and, and he came from the 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 least of, um, you know, in the eyes of the so-called experts, the least of the the competition, you know, and Trey Lance and and what he did. I'll come back to Gary in a second. I want to bring in um, my next co- uh, guest? Of course, he is the uh, uh, coach, new coach of Saint Augustine University. Uh, good to have him on. He's David Bowser. And, uh, Coach, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show, sir. Hey, good evening, Mr. Bachelor. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on, and we're excited. We're we're big friends and fans of uh, the Falcons. They always have their stuff on uh, Anthony Jeffries will tell you. And so, Coach, um, you know, you, you have this pedigree, and, you're a, a great coach at, at um, the Broncos, Fayetteville State, which will be one of your, you know, your rivals. Um, but what went into you taking uh, this position? Well, it, it was just a great opportunity to uh, be close to the home because I'm a I'm a Raleigh guy as far as having where I went to college and lived in the area, and so it was a great opportunity. And just being a part of the CIAA, which is to me one of the the best conferences overall in athletics and history. And I was just, I just felt like it was a great marriage for me to be able to merge with St. Augustine in Raleigh and have an opportunity to build on the uh, football program over the next couple of years. And, and coach, we, we had um, uh, a coach on Norfolk state earlier and talking about the challenges in, in the midst of COVID. And we see this variance coming back. People could believe what they want and, and decide what they want, but it is what it is. But it, it's one thing to come in as a new coach with, you know, players getting used to them and getting in the training, getting ready for your upcoming game, which we'll talk about. But it's another with, with the, you know, the different situations and, you know, things you have to be concerned about when it comes to health. How, how much of a challenge has that been for you? It's been a, it's been a big challenge, but, the thing is, our, our training staff, our administration have done a great job of putting the protocols in place to keep our student-athletes safe. So we've taken the pace of progression. A lot of people, you know, they want to jump right out there, but you got to realize you got some kids that had not played football since 2019 in November, so you got to protect them. you got to make sure that they're able to get the conditioning and the movements in that they need in order to prepare. So what we've basically done is we've we've gone with shorter practices. So we've been averaging about an hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, we've been creative in conditioning. Uh, we've made sure that we've done a lot of mobility type things with the kids. So we're just trying to work at a pace to build up and not jump out there like there has not been a pandemic, not like there's not been a break. So we're trying to really get the kids peaking at the right time. So we're kind of 
building momentum and being really patient with getting them prepared. Uh, if you're just joining us, of course, we're, we're, we're talking to Coach Bowser. Of course, he's the new football coach at, at St. Augustine University. Coach, we talked to Coach Johnson um, some time ago, uh, your basketball coach, and he was talking about, listen, it, this was the first time he hadn't been on a court in years. since You know, probably his playing days. You played at, you know, Car- uh, North Carolina um, uh, um, A&T, and you, th- you think – has it been that long? What was the, the the hardest part of not being on a football field, you know, let alone your players, but you just being out there and, and coaching and, and scouting and all of those type of things? I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is just the, uh, the ability to be around uh, the, the student-athletes and, and not having the chance to engage and watch them enjoy, what, which is what they do in competing and and so last year was really tough, and you, and you really felt like you were taking steps back. But the one thing we knew was that safety was the most important thing, so you had to keep everything in perspective. And then once the opportunity came that we were back in the mix, you were just grateful. You had to be thankful for the opportunity to have football again, which we do have. And like you said, even with these other variants, we have to be careful, but I think we we have better knowledge of what to expect as far as preparing the kids to stay safe. We're testing a couple times a week. Uh, we're wearing our mask, excuse me, at practice and in meetings. So we're making sure that we're conscious of all the little things, and that's the reason why you feel like you've got some hope. But, yeah, Coach Johnson was right, man. It was tough last year to be away from the game itself. Yeah, and I, I want to correct myself. Uh, you graduated uh, North Carolina State, um, ACC country Wolfpack. But um, with that being said, you you have coached on both sides of the ball, which is very unique in in a lot of ways. I know coaches, you know, build their resumes by doing that. I know you coach some great running backs, all CIAA. You certainly coach some great defensive backs. How does that help you in being the head coach? Um, uh, leading this team? Well, the, the first thing it did was it let me know that I needed to hire an offensive coordinator, which I went out and hired Anthony Barber uh, to be my offensive coordinator, and then I hired Stephen Tate, who worked with me at Fayetteville State for four years as my defensive coordinator. So having been on both sides of the ball in college, I, I felt really comfortable with turning both sides of the ball over to somebody and allowing them to be creative and allowing them to kind of visualize what I've talked to them about. And so I I enjoy walking around practice and moving from station to station, and it allows me to get to know kids on both sides of the ball. I feel like if you're a head coach that's coaching one side of the ball, then a part of your team tends to get neglected because you're not able to watch them as much as you would like. You may not be able to go sit in their meetings because if you're the coordinator and the head coach, you may be running a meeting. So the one thing that I wanted to do was find me two people who I knew could be competent at running the offense and then someone running the defense and let them use their talents and their gifts to to do that and showcase our team, and I get a chance to get to know the kids better. So knowing both sides of the ball makes me comfortable when I walk in both rooms or when I'm down on the practice field. 
But I got to think too, Coach. It's good for you with your coordinators. We a lot of the criticism that comes to whether it's a small program or big. If you if you're the coach and the coordinator, and then you know at the pro level, if you're the coach and the GM, then you're wearing too many hats. Some parts might be neglected. Some parts you might be overemphasizing, and then you know you don't really get to know the players um, the way they are, and you're delegating to your coordinators. Exactly. And plus the other thing, too, is that um, in this day and age, there's so much stuff and so many demands off the field that a head coach has to be able to to have the flexibility to meet those needs. You know, you have to be able to meet doing interviews like you requested tonight, or you got to be able to meet with the alums because we're always wanting to connect and get more donors and sponsorships. You got to be able to connect with major corporations that may be out there who want to connect with your university and help you grow. And so the, the, the one thing I figured out was that you get good people around you and you can be successful in so many areas. If you're just joining us, we're talking with David Bowser, head football coach at St. Augustine University. Uh, they'll be taking on uh, Tusculum uh, September 4th. Um, we'll get to that um, game uh, shortly. Coach, what about this new um, this NIL with some players, you know, being compensated for their image? We saw, I'm sure you saw the article, if not, uh, the kid, the first kid uh, from the HBCU, from J- um, Jocelyn Smith, a freshman, uh, that signed an uh, endorsement deal with Bojangles. Bojangles, of course, in Charlotte, you know you're from there, uh, the, the the local company there that signed them. Is this a good thing, or do you think uh, kids might get distracted uh, with all of this? No, I, I think that what we have now trending is that kids are, are able to get compensated for what they bring to the table, uh, the universities, the NCAA. And so many people have made money. But at our level, my biggest concern is that a lot of these kids have to understand, since they're on need-based scholarships, that once they start making a certain amount of income and they've got to file taxes and, and put that information out there, that they may begin to jeopardize their financial aid, which is part of what may be paying for them to go to school. And so you have to really be knowledgeable of that. The other thing is I want to make sure that the universities are walking very closely and hand-in-hand with these kids because there's some people out there who don't have the best interest of these kids, and you can't let them get put in predicaments that could ruin their eligibility, that could mess up their future business deals, and then you have to ask yourself, well, how do I accomplish this in the right manner? And I think that our universities have to really nurture and move in a direction of, of staying on top of what these NILs may cause or what they may mean in the future. So it's ever-changing. It's new. And at the Division two level, I think we will be affected by it. But I just want to make sure we put our kids in a position to excel. Well, I, I'll say, you know, I'm, I call them the five families. It'll be interesting to see when the five families take over and these HBCUs don't get what they deserve. I mean, I'm in Durham, and Coach K, can, he just walk on water, and he's got all these endorsements. Them. Coaches go from all over the place, you know, and, you know, they don't have to worry about eating a, pe- a cheeseburger and losing eligibility. So, 
um, you know, that's, I just think it's a, it, you're right. I think the biggest thing is that the um, institutions have to really stay on top of it to make sure these kids don't, don't lose the eligibility or get in trouble um, for the smallest things. Um, it, it, go ahead. You got to say something. No, sir. I was just agreeing with you. I was, that was a mm-hmm agreeing with you. Okay. Uh, okay. When you, you took this job, uh, obviously the biggest thing is to, A, know your players, get to know them, meeting with them. Uh, what are did, did you have any uh, upperclassmen that stepped up and said, Coach, we're here for you. We're going to, you know, um, get you familiar with the players and, and things. And then from the other side of it, I mean, coaching the talent that, you, that you've had, um, over the years, uh, what is your defense and, and offensive philosophy? Okay, so first I'll say that uh, the, the biggest pieces to the transition when I got there was uh, Joe Harris was an outstanding uh, leader. Uh, Dontre Gilliard has been an outstanding leader. Zach Barco has been an outstanding leader. And there were a few more guys who really had bought into – wanting to see St. Augustine's be successful again in football. So that was a plus. And when you have the opportunity to see young men uh, come to you and talk about how they envision what they want to bring to the university, that makes you excited. And, and that's been the progress that we made. Uh, my philosophy on offense is really simple, is I want to take the best football players and get the ball in their hand, which means – you're, you don't have to be, like, committed to a certain style of offense because a lot of times when people are committed to a certain style of offense, then the personnel that you bring in might not fit that. And now you're struggling to get your kids where they need to be. you got to be able to be creative. It may be some games that you got to run that ball inside. you got to get downhill. There may be games that they got some stout guys on the inside. you got to be able to get to the edge. So offensively, we want to do what the kids do well, and we want to take what our opponent gives us. On defense, I'm a traditional 20 years in the CIAA kind of guy, a four-man front. You want to use speed, bring pressure. So, you know, we we mirror a lot of what you see in our conference that's been successful. The four-man front has has done wonders in our conference. So I'm I'm going to stick with what we know. And then we're also going to be what everybody else does. You want to be sound in special teams, and you want to find the right pieces and, and just control that clock. So my philosophy is going to be give, give the kids an opportunity to be successful and play as fast as possible on defense. Yeah, and, I mean, Falcons are known for bringing pressure off the edge, especially um, in, in the conference. You know, when you're going in and you're recruiting, uh, again, you have a unique perspective because you you coached high school as well and was successful there. You know, you've been a part of CIAA uh, championships in football. Um, is that something you preach when you're going in? And does that high school level, I know it's been a while, but that high school level, does that give you an, an, an inside track to, to recruiting some of these kids? Yeah, it, it's been a blessing. You know, I, I coached high school for seven, eight years in North Carolina. Then on top of that, so a lot of the coaches that I came into high school coaching with are now head coaches in high schools, and so we have relationships. And also when I was in Fayetteville, I was recruiting coordinator for out of my 20 years there. For 16 years, I was a recruiting coordinator. So 
I had hands-on experience with a lot of these schools, and now you got kids who I recruited who played for me. Now they're coaching high school, and they're sending their kids uh, to play for me at St. Augustine. So it's been really helpful. I love recruiting North Carolina. When our roster comes out, people are going to see the majority of our kids are from uh, North Carolina, which I think is a great thing as far as building a fan base on Saturday afternoons and, and, and bringing revenue and all those things that you want on the weekends to the Raleigh area because family, when they can drive within a 90-mile radius, they're going to come and support their, their sons and their grandsons. They're going to bring their sisters and brothers, their aunts. People from their high school may come support. So recruiting North Carolina within a strong 90-mile radius was a big goal of mine. And I think we've done a great job of making that happen. So it has been great with my high school relationships for those years that I coached high school because, like I said, a lot of the guys that I I grew up in the profession with are now head high school coaches, and we've got great relationships, and they're willing to send their kids uh, to play for us at St. Aug. So it was a shortened um, version of the season, I believe nine games, uh, the first one on on the fourth, but – um, not much in terms of out of conference. You get right in to conference play, and and you know right in the uh, end of September with Shawanda. Uh, I know you didn't put the schedule together, but what do you know what went into how the schedule shaping up? Oh no, I I did. Um, I was able to put oh, okay. this together. It was a and it was okay. a non-conference schedule. And what I was looking at is I knew we were going to be a young team. So you have to play a certain minimum of number of games to qualify for the playoffs. So we, we chose to play nine. But what I did was I didn't want to play week three because I wanted to give us two weeks to prepare for conference. Right. So what we did was we took two great opponents because Tusculum wound up, as you know, beating Lenore Ryan in the spring for the championship of the SOCON – I'm sorry, the SAC conference – and then Limestone is a nice up-and-coming team, so they're going to be a good challenge. So that gives our young kids two weeks to get some film, game experience, and then we have two weeks to make some adjustments and tweak some things to get ready for Chawan at home and then going on the road the following week to Virginia State, which is a very well-run and, and, and very tough program. Coach Barlow does an outstanding job up there. So my right. thinking was – Let's get a week to give ourselves two weeks to get back healthy and also to be able to see who can do what and what adjustments we may, we may need to make with personnel. And you you got sort of a balance. I mean, you you got four on, at home, five on the road, so, I mean, it's an odd number anyway. Um, but it, you you guys are going to be some road warriors because you're going to Ettrick, you, like you said, Virginia State, then you come back to Carolina, but you're going to Livingstone, then you stay in, in Carolina but going to Winston. So you're moving around a lot before you come back and play the team that you know very well in, in Fayetteville State at home. Yes, sir. And that, that was a tough that was a tough draw because originally before the conference flipped the schedule, that three-week stretch was supposed to be home games for us, and the schedule would have been more in our favor where it would have been five at home, four on the road. But when they just made the decision to replay the 20 schedule, that put us at four and five. And the three-week stretch on the road, I think, is probably going to be able to help us on the backside because, as you know, when you go on the road and it's just that core group, 
you eliminate a lot of the distractions. The guys are really around each other. They're going to be able to get to know each other better. So I envision that being able to help us. So we're going to break it down in phases, and we're just going to say to ourselves, let's get through these first three. Then we're going to take that three-week stretch, one one game at a time, and then we're going to go and see what we can do against Fayetteville and see what we can do uh, to close out with John C. Smith and Shaw. So you have to be real meticulous and break that thing down, and and, and that's what we've been looking at. So you're right. It's a daunting schedule, but we're willing to, to be patient and develop and grow and then just see where we end up at the end of the season. Well, you know, and no, November 6th is that Shaw week. So, I mean, that, I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's down the road, but, you know, that's that game that um, you guys are trying to win against your rivals right there. Let's talk about Tusco. And what, what do we know about them and what do they do on both sides of the ball? If you have any, um, any film on them? Well, what we saw in the, in the spring with them offensively, they play very fast. They're going to try to get a lot of plays in, but, the thing that's going to happen that threw us off is uh, the, the gentleman that got the job at Western Carolina University, uh, Bale, his son was the offensive coordinator at Tusculum. So we were able to see Tusculum in the spring, had some ideas of what they did, and then all of a sudden he hired his son to be the offensive coordinator at Western Carolina. So he took a couple of guys off the Tusculum staff. So that threw us for a loop because now you're trying to figure out Will they still be able to run that same fast-paced offense if since they've got a new coordinator? And on defense, up until about two weeks ago, their defensive coordinator left, and he went to Western Carolina to be a quality control assistant. So wow. everything that we looked at this summer possibly could be scrapped. So what we're focusing on is what we've seen from the spring, figuring it'll be scaled back, but – we're working more on what we do and what we need to do better so that whatever they throw at us, we feel comfortable with it. So we've spent the last week and a half just basically tuning ourselves up and feeling comfortable with what we're going to see because so there could be what, changes. So what's the keys to, to getting a victory uh, from your standpoint? Oh, we, we just have to play discipline and we got to have ball control. I think that when you play a team that can play fast, you want to get them out of rhythm keep them off the field. So we're right. going to have to be dis- disciplined. We're going to have to control the ball game. And the one thing you don't want to do with a young football team, we don't want to turn the ball over because we don't want to hurt our confidence. So it's crucial that we do things to protect that football and that we allow our special teams to be sound and solid. I mean, we're going to have to – if you got to punt, punt. You know, if you're going to have to, to kick a field goal, make sure you're in the, in the kicker's range – so that he keeps his confidence. There may be some times that we got to go ahead and just commit ourselves to being in four-down territory and see what happens and let the defense play it out. So we we just got to strategically, to get that win the first game, we got to control the ball and not turn that ball over and keep that offense of theirs off the field. Well, it's Stoner Appreciation and Prostate Cancer Awareness Day, so it's, a, it's for a good cause for people to come out to a rally at the uh, – the athletic complex there, George William Athletic Complex. Coach, uh, we we love for you to come on some more this year and talk about hopefully some some dubs. Uh, but thank you for coming on first time and and best of luck on on the fourth. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and I look forward to being back on again and 
And I'm definitely hoping that people will come on out to the George Williams Athletic Complex and support these kids um, this season because we're really excited about the product. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll be be out there at some point, but thank you, Coach. All right. Have a good evening. All right. You too. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show. Stay tuned. African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. If you have a sore or lump in your mouth that doesn't go away after two weeks, see a doctor or a dentist. Most often, these symptoms don't mean cancer, but it's important to get them checked. If you do have oral cancer, it can be treated more successfully if it's caught early. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Welcome back to the show. Uh, if you missed any part of our broadcast, you go to our website, thebastionews.airtime.pro. You can also hear it on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a partridge in a pear tree. Hear that intro. Anytime you hear that um, Ja Rule instrumental, you know it's time for Locker Talk with Barry Barnes and on the line is Barry Barnes, host of Locker Talk that airs here every Friday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Barry, what's shaking? You better, you bring up Tom Brady, I'm muting you right now. I'm telling you, Gary's on the line. We're not, we don't want to hear no, no Tom Brady, so we better put it in your pocket. <laughs> right now. Oh, no Tom so Brady talk. I wait till the regular season to talk about my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait till the season starts. You on your show? You don't do it on the on the basketball. Show. Do it on the locker talk show, but don't do it on here right. anyway. Um, no. <laughs> um, and Barry, uh, we got Tony T. Matt McLean and Gary uh, Gray on the line too as well. Um, Barry, did we talked about one side of the world, and I believe did we talk about the AFC first? Yeah, I think we talked about the AFC first. Um, right. Maybe in terms AFC, of AFC, yeah. Before you the get AFC to it, one of the conversations, yeah, one of the conversations we were having was about these five rookie quarterbacks and how they'll be. And it, it, this might be a redundant question uh, to my audience, but I'll ask it again because you, you cover the football. Um you know, people have been talking about how how great this class could be, and talking about with Roethlisberger and and Rivers and and Eli, and even bringing up eighty three. 
Um, from what you know from these players, forget week one of preseason, how good can this class be? Are we overrating? Are people overrating in this class already? Well, uh, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on. It's always a pleasure to come on your show. But uh, for me, you know, personally, a lot of people probably take this offense to this, but to me, it's really immature to even mention these guys here because they didn't play in the NFL yet. I mean, to compare any rookie and just because what you saw, what they did little in the preseason, you compare it to players that's played in the league for a number of years is very immature, premature, and it should never be up for discussion. This should just actually just allow these, you know, young men to develop, you know, and just see. You know what I mean? They, I mean, every year we see big-name guys come out of college, and just as many that do well, you know, most of them don't. I mean, majority of the league is built with undrafted players. You know, so to come out and label these guys compared to the 83 class and, you know, the class with Ben Roethlisberger and all those guys, I and mean, these are great classes. These guys did it, played on a high level, won some titles. You know, let, let these young men mature first, and let's see after three years with this class being in the league. Then you want to try to bring up the comparison or try to see um, and, um, how these, um, this class will stack up with them. But right now, the rookies, they haven't played a down in the NFL yet. I mean, Justin Fields talking about over the weekend that he don't see no difference in the speed. I think the game is probably not, you know, slower. He's not impressed by it. I mean, it just really shows, you know, the lack of respect. I mean, people want to chalk it up as being confident. But no, it's not confident. So to even mention these guys in the breath with players that did in the league is really premature. Well, the only thing I would say about what he said is that you know, he is going against a class defense. I mean, you know, 2019 notwithstanding that the Bears have an exceptional defense. And, and Justin probably should have said, you know, I mean, he can say whatever he want to say. But, I mean, you know, you're going to see fluff fluff in the preseason. You don't, you're going to see a lot of zone and guys just trying to make the squad. So, He's not going to see a lot, and then he's athletically gifted, and he he makes he he's got a strong arm. He can make throws, so I guess he's just talking from a confidence standpoint. But um, with that being said, about him, is he is he the class you think? I mean, again, from what you know of those guys coming out going into the league, is he the one you think would have the best chance of being? The most successful, or you, or you with a lot of people still think um, uh, the kid from Clemson is probably going to be the the real deal of of all of all five. Oh no! Well, uh, this this actually, believe it or not, now I mean I know you're doing you know a lot of talking because you do a lot of great stuff, have a lot of people in your show, but this is actually our first conversation about this this class, this grouping. I just wanted right. to say that out of the five, out of the five. I, I think Justin Fields is the best quarterback coming out of the draft. You know, uh, when you really talk about these five coming into the league, hands down, he's the best. For me, Trevor Lawrence, I would a little bit look at him being a little bit too much. I mean, I look at him being overrated. You know, I, I you know, Justin Fields had outdueled him on all levels, even when they was coming out of high school and when they had, I think, some kind of pro-am competition. He out, you know, performed him there as well. You know, when I look at Justin Fields, um, a player that has played on a big stage, played against top competition, knows how to play in inclement weather, knows how to um, know when to run, know when to throw. To me, he has the total package. You read defenses. I, I look at his progression 
he goes through his progressions at least, you know, three times from left to right, how he want to set up. He always looking to pass first, and then he will make plays of his legs. To me, he's the most complete when you look at, you know, the, the young man in California, Trey Lance. I know everybody is high on him because he got this big arm, you know. Dude only played 16 games and on a lower level of Division One, you know. So, but when you have a player that's not afraid of spotlight, played in front of tens of, I mean, hundreds of thousands of fans, you know, and was consistent on a consistent level to be able to do a lot. I'm not going to say well, compared to Bama and Clemson, kind of played with a little lesser talent, although he was surrounded by good talent, but compared to those two teams, it was a little less. And for him to be, you know, to have the tough, the stamina, for him to be able to come back in a game after taking a ferocious shot to the head and still was able to still come back and lead his team to a national championship game, it says, you know, a whole lot, you know, for me that, you know, this kid has been proven through the fire. And I would say that he's the one that's ready. He's the one I'm pulling for to definitely be the best out of the five. Mm. Talk with Barry Barnes, of course, uh, host of Locker Talk. Uh, with Barry Barnes, uh, of, of course, on the Bastion News Radio Network. Barry, before I go to Gary and 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 T Mac, uh, Hall of Fame, did they get it right this year? And I know they with COVID, so they had the double thing going on. And and what say you in terms of when you're looking at the HBCU players that are still out there? Some that went in, but some that you would look at. You you cover the HBCUs you know, from that level that, that still are yet not in um, the Pro Football Hall of Fame? You know, that, that's actually a good question because I, I started to pull up the list. I, I figured you'd probably ask that question, you know. So I have to actually look at the list of available players for HBCU that had a phenomenal career in the NFL. The biggest one, the, the main two that you finally got in, you know, with Donnie Shell, undrafted player. And then, you know, with uh, with um, Carmichael, Harold Carmichael finally getting in. They were the two biggest guys that I was just waiting for the longest time. And I would say that for them to get it right, I would say, you know, it's a, about time, you know, for like, – like I said, I don't know if you listened to the show. Well, I know you did. But when I, when I was there, it's just a sentiment with the Hall of Fame players and being around them, being around Mel Blunt. I mean, he was actually in the press box, you know, with us. Really, you know, he's definitely large in life. But the sentiment was he was more angry. Well, that's too strong. I would say that he was a little bit more frustrated or disappointed than it just took, you know, his former college teammate, Harold Carmichael, to finally get, I mean, 37 years L.A. to get into the home right. right. He was really adamant. It wasn't just something that he was just saying. I mean, he that was the bulk of his conversation, you know, the entire weekend, you know, that the committee has to do better in getting these legends into the NFL instead of having them wait nearly to their death. And Carmichael was Mr. I mean, he's Mr. Eagle, and and you know, I mean, I'm I'm black and gold yeah. all day. So Donnie Shell should have been in a long time ago. You know, as a Steeler oh, guy, oh I, God, he yeah. should have way been, been in a long time ago. Hands down, hands down, and, and you're right. And it was just, you know, to see and to hear, even when it came down to the Steeler players. And I know I'm a little off topic, but it was really awesome to see how the Steeler play, how the um, the Steeler community was really rallying behind, you know, their former players, how they should be. And, and this week, this year, it was all about Heinz Ward. It, it was anytime somebody talked about the Steeler player, you get in the Hall of Fame, even the old Steelers talking about Heinz Ward, you know, when he's going to get inside. 
but um, it, it it definitely was something that that that's that's needed to be done better. I mean, should they put in place, you know, after five years now, if you have like walking guys, you know that's going to get in. Okay, you know Peyton Manning's going to get in. You knew Calvin Johnson going to get in. We knew that Charles Woods going to get in. If they are not guys that you know automatically is going to walk into the Hall of Fame, honestly, I think they should let some of those players, you know, wait just a little long instead of a five-year period. You know, extend it right. like seven years before they get qualified because they really have to examine some of the players that's in there. Now, the part that I don't like, I mean, honest, I mean, honestly, I know Curtis Martin. I'm just, I'm not picking on Curtis Martin. You know, but we have some players in there that you'll say to yourself, okay, is this guy really a Hall of Famer, or should he wait it longer than someone else? I mean, honestly, compared to Harold Carmichael and Donnie Shell, using the guys he got in this year, they should have been in a whole lot longer than Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin should have been the one waiting a little longer than these guys. You right. know, because when you look at the body of work, I mean, Harold, I mean, Harold Carmichael, his, his records are still set. Number one in all of Philadelphia Eagles history. I mean, it's, right. it, it, uh, they, they really have to figure out a way to those who we know is going to be an automatic walk into the Hall of Fame. That, okay, is there five years? You don't have to vote. Just get their name across the table. But those who are more like borderline, you know, more guys are trying to campaign, putting a, a committee together to try to get them into the Hall of Fame, those guys need to wait a little longer, especially when you know you still have some legends that's sitting out there just waiting for an opportunity to finally get immortalized. I mean, with all due respect to Troy Palomalo and Ed Reed, if you could put Ed Reed and Troy's definitely going in because they were the premier, but you're oh, going to tell me that Donnie yeah. Shell didn't yeah. play and the interceptions that he had more than Troy interceptions? Man, yeah. I know that for a fact. The first, the first, the first, the first safety to have over 50 interceptions. He finished with 51. The first safety to get 50 interceptions. I mean, that that that's phenomenal, you know. Because when you look at safeties, safeties are pretty much those players that are athletes that just couldn't catch. So they say, hey, we're gonna put you on defense and see what's gonna do on there. For him to be able right. to show that he can catch and still play on a high level, and then at the same time go undrafted, you know, and and, and do what he did, he, he should not have been, had to sit that long. And, and how many guys wanted to go over the middle when him knowing him's coming and <laughs> coming flying to, to hit him? My man would be tearing ribs up all the time. I definitely remember those days. Um, let me oh, go to, to, to I want that. Let me go to Gary Gray. Go ahead, Gary. Well, I think it was it was a good good day for um, them to get in the Hall of Fame this year. They did it right with two classes. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to ignore the the HBCU because they can't do it. <laughs> oh, no. That's something they know they can't. And the thing is, when it comes down to, I would say, the, the older players that came to HBCU, you know, they definitely can't ignore them because the – the older players from the, your, the 60s, 50s, 70s, the ACC U players there before integration had um, finally took, you know, took place in this country, they saved the NFL. You know, the NFL was in a situation where it was in a spiraling down 
where the popularity wasn't as great, the, the skill play wasn't up to par the way how they needed to be, and so fans were not interested. And so when the league, when the team started to go for um, black players going to HBCU, that's when the league was saved, and then integration came upon us, and then that's when we have our great players going to, you know, bigger, brighter white schools, not HBCUs, you know, in another situation, which is another topic for another day. But, yes, the older, you know, players, you know, from the ACC that did great things to help change this game, you know, they should not be um, ignored. One of the things that I would say that that is changing that with the NFL Legends Committee, um, also with the Players um, Engagement Committee, also with um, Executive Vice President um, Troy Vincent, you know, these guys are really on top of the situation, something they have been on top of for the past uh, several years since um, Mr. Vincent got into the, got the position that he's in now. I call him the vice president of the NFL when he took the job in 2014. I would say in 2015, personally, that was the time when he was really trying to make sure that the HBCU players are not being ignored, and I think they moving in the right direction towards that. Now, one thing I noticed about, about the uh, All-Bain the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Oakland Raiders, they travel very well. You always oh, yeah. Raider Nation, Pittsburgh, and the Dallas Cowboys every year. Yeah, we do travel. Like, like you said, man, the travel, I mean, it was always, always down to the Cowboys and Steelers, but the Steelers, man, I tell you, no team travels better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they, I mean, it's top notch, man. These guys, I mean, to see the terrible towels, not just when the game and when the ceremonies, but when you go into the Hall of Fame and when you're walking around, Steelers Nation represents whether old, new, even the players, you know, out mingling with the people. And I tell you, it is, it is, it's, it's breathtaking. You know, the Steelers definitely number one. And, and travel, and, and nobody comes close. And, and, and this year, the Dallas Cowboys play the Oakland Raiders. It's gonna be interesting to watch yeah, because because uh, Latino Latino fan base is split between the two teams. When well, you talking about with Vegas yeah, and Oakland, or you talking about Dallas and Oakland? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Most I think I think I see more Latinos as Raiders fans. But um it, it's a good point you did bring up because you know, even at the Hall of Fame ceremony there was a lot of Latinos that was there. You know, that that embraced the game. But but I would if I if I had a choice, I would think it's more them for Raider fans than it is Dallas Cowboy fans. Yeah, I would say too. The Dallas, but 
Dallas fans to me are like um, when they went and you the jerseys and the jackets and all this other stuff. When they when they when they losing, it's like turning on the light and them cockroaches run. You you can't find them. They hiding all over the place. That <laughs> to me, T. Oh, I want to bring T Mac in. Um, uh, someone with, with Barry was just talking about you know getting it right and Curtis Martin. Someone uh, had chatted and said um, Howie Long, who I people don't agree with. I'm just saying I I just don't see it. I don't. I know Gary, you're a Raider guy, but I just didn't see it with him. I'm sorry. Uh, I know he won a title, but he, I, somebody said Howie Long might be in that Curtis Martin type of conversation. So, Well, you know what? <laughs> wait, wait, please wait. Wake me up when Otis Taylor gets in. Then I'll, Del then I'll, Diego. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and matter of fact, you know, without, without, without shouting like a shameless flood, myself, Gary, and a bunch of us wrote a book a few years ago. We, we co-authored a book a few years ago called uh, Four Quarters of Soul. And we basically went through, um, you know, a bunch of players who should, from HBCU players who should be in, guys like uh, Kenny Riley, who, uh, when he retired back in the early 80s, only Paul Krause, who's all-time interception leader, was the only guy that had more interceptions than him. And he, he should definitely be And I mentioned Otis Taylor as well. But, the, I mean, it's it's a bunch of guys, and, and and there's even non-HBCU guys, you know, uh, Cliff Branch, uh, it, it come comes to mind. For the for the for the, you know, for the for the love of God, I don't know why Jim Marshall isn't in. And if you can, if you tell me the wrong way, if you tell me the backwards run, I will personally come to your house and slit your tires. If 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 you if you're going to use that. <laughs> To keep to keep him out of the Hall of Fame, but but you know, the thing about it, and, and we and I personally have said this about a lot of the Hall of Fames. If you look at the Big Four: football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. If you go back to every decade, there's probably about five, even in upwards to ten guys that you say to yourself, "Why aren't they in?" And yes, there are a few that you know that that uh, you 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 your question. And see, what's worse to me, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Barry, because of how we've got analytics in all the sports now, it's going to make it even tougher for some of the old school guys to get in. Right. I agree with you 100% because now with analytics, analytics, in my opinion, now it has its place, but analytics really take away the ability to really look at football how it should be. You know, it, it really takes takes away those who really know the game of football out of the picture. Absolutely. One of the things that analytics, uh, they, they, they were analytics that does not pick up in that is, um, I would say, tendencies. And the reason why I say tendencies is because, for instance, you have, let's look at Eli Manning. And as a matter of fact, let's look at a, a Peyton Manning. Yes, Peyton Manning had a solid, Regular season career, all time regular season. But if you look at his postseason, his brother Eli has a better postseason career than Peyton Manning. And when you look at situationally, the reason why Peyton Manning won those Super Bowls is because it really results really on what the defense was able to do. 
the defense won those games, and Peyton Manning pretty much had to take a, a backseat. He was not, he's not, he was not a good postseason quarterback. But you look at his brother Eli. Yes, his numbers don't mount up to his brothers in the regular season. But when Eli gets into the postseason, it's like he just flipped another switch, and then you see his tendencies. He tends to play better in those pressure situations. And when you look and, at and, analytics, and when you look at balance. analytics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There has to right. be a balance has- because, you know, are we, you know, you're not sitting out there watching, you know, computers. You know, if, if it's all yeah. going to be about numbers, then let's just line up eleven uh, laptops versus eleven other laptops, and you know, and and, and see what happens. But, but yeah, you gotta, you have to take, you know, full disclosure. I used to get into the stats when I was younger, and I still do. But like I said, you have to put it in the context because it's just it's 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 when you make it all about numbers, you're missing the entire point. And 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 that right. and that's the problem I have with the with the analytic folks. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm with you 100. percent You know, I'm I'm not an analytic guy. You know, so I agree with you 100. percent It really takes away, you know, the the ability to like really scout and really break down football. Because that little thing, like I, like, like I mentioned, tendencies, that part gets eliminated because you really don't get a chance to really see, okay, who's going to really shine, you know, in big situations. You know, like with Otis Anderson. Otis Anderson wasn't the greatest regular season guy, but when it came down to the postseason, he just took it to a, a whole new level. Sure. You know, so it's just, yeah. it's, just, it's, just certain, it's just certain things that the analytics do not provide. It has its place, but it should not be the end-all, be-all. Yeah, and I, I know Barry, you gotta you gotta run shortly, but uh, it's it's interesting you bring up Eli because you know he he kind of reminds me of Bradshaw. I mean Bradshaw's touchdown interceptions yeah. were about the same, but you know he uh-huh. performed. Of course, it helped to have you know Franco Harris and that great defense. But I mean, you to your point, you know he he performed better in the postseason than he did in the regular season. And uh, interesting enough, like a, a few other people, I guess it's Raiders night, uh, Gary, that I forgot. A lot of people say, wow, we forgot Cliff Branch is not ended in all of fame. How yeah, is he not in the Hall right. of Fame? I'm so surprised. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked myself, yes. Good God. How do you not have Cliff Branch? I think the Raiders are kind of underrated when it comes to some of their players that should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <You> could, <laughs> How do you think, um, before we let you go, I know we already saw the, the sports world deal with um, COVID, but we already see, you know, franchises letting coaches go and all the stuff that they're not going to follow the NFL protocol. How is this going to play out? How do you think this is going to look? And did you see any teams, you know, get to the point where they, you know, Baltimore is notorious where you are. I mean, when Lamar's had it again and guys are getting yeah, sick. Yeah. And How do you think it's going to play out this year? Well, um, I believe that it's still going to be, a, you know, successful. The, the, the season is still going to go through successfully, but from being in the NFL um, officiating clinic, and uh, um, last month I was a part of the clinic and sitting in on the conversations, you know, with the with the meetings with the officials, 
and then um, the um, NFL Chief Medical um, Medical um, um, Chief Medical Doctor Allen Seals. He was talking about how the league was able to handle the COVID-19 pandemic last year, and how they, the protocols they had put in place, and how they rendered um, a little over um, one million tests throughout the season from July all the way to the, the Super Bowl. And with over 12,000 um, employee staff, including the players, and how during that whole time over 12,000 people, 723 was tested positive for COVID. So that was like 1.08%, uh, which was phenomenal. They did such a great job with it that the CDC was using them for an example of how they handled COVID during a, during a protocol. And so with what they have in place, knowing that with the vaccination, how there's certain things they can do to let up with us a little little easier. And, I, and I'll be on this show for another half an hour bringing down everything they have said. But to answer your question, what Dr. Seals did mention, he did say that this year may be a little um, crazier only because although the staff was mandated to get vaccinated, it didn't necessarily go off to the players. Um and also the organizations, because each team is their own, um, I would say, own entity, and each team runs their own show, so to speak. There's certain protocols that they have to listen from the front office, but for the most part, they actually conduct themselves. And what the league did put out, that if it gets out of hand, there will be some heavy fines. There will be there will be some games that will be forfeited, not postponed, will be forfeited. And one thing that these players don't want to happen, these coaches don't want to want to happen, is games be forfeited. And with the with the pressure of having games forfeited, not rescheduled to play on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, not gonna be like that this year. You know, if it's gonna be something they're gonna play down the road where they probably have a Tuesday night game, Wednesday night games, they're not here. I did not hear anything like that. But since everything's in place, the vaccination's in place, everything, the protocols are in place to make sure that everyone is safe. And that they have a game plan to move forward, and if you have teams that will have, that continue to have players who are not vaccinated, and then if it gets to the point where uh, the players, you know, causing you know people to get infected, and causing people to actually, you know, be tested positive, and it's an interfere with the schedule and these games, these games gonna be forfeited. Um, players put in a lot of work to try to get to the point where they get to the Super Bowl, and unlike any sport. The NFL season, every game counts. And you forfeit a game, and that game can come back and haunt you from getting to the playoffs or trying to get that number one seed. So now just only one seed that get that bye week. And if it costs the team that situation, it's going to be, you know, almost like some hell to pay within the organizations. But the league, they're going to move forward. They're going to uh, forfeit these games. And like I said, nothing's going to stop, you know, the season can uh, be completed. So with those forfeited games, It'll cause a lot of problems. So I can see that these organizations are going to say, hey, Lamar Jackson, you got COVID twice. You better get vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, I see uh, big ups to the Falcons. I think they're 100% vaccinated. Yeah. Their players, as we saw with the Patriots and their, one of their assistant coaches uh, being let go because he refused to do it. Listen, if you – even if you don't believe in the science, you're hurting your team and the franchise if you're not going to get back. Why would you do that and forfeit? It, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, right. And, 
you know, if you're in a if you're in a tight race for the playoffs and you forfeit a game, you know, <laughs> there you go, Barry. Like you said. Yep. Um let's get you on again. I wanna really get into the players to watch, HBCU players to watch and ones that are still playing in college. Get ready for that. But I appreciate the time man. thank you so much. We'll talk with you uh soon of course the show on Friday. Absolutely, my friend. Take it easy. Hey, Gary, y'all guys, it was great talking to you guys again. Y'all take it easy now. Appreciate you. Barry Barnes, of course, he's the host of Locker Talk with uh, Barry Barnes. It airs every um, Friday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, followed by A Dose of the Dime on the Best News uh, Radio Network. You can listen at thebestnews.airtime.com. The psoriasis solution asks, What's complete freedom? For me, it's an open road with the top down. It's my bare arms getting warmed by the sun. It's my bare arms without a trace of psoriasis. Complete freedom, brought to you by the complete relief of Dermarest psoriasis. Unlike brands which only relieve itching and inflammation, Dermarest psoriasis also removes the embarrassing scales, allowing healthy skin to grow. Healthy skin? That's complete freedom. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution. Welcome back to the show. Thanks to all of our guests that uh, came on today. We appreciate them. Don't forget, if you missed any part of the broadcast, you can hit us up uh, and listen. 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Saturday on Sunday from 11 to 4 at uh, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Um, interested in having your show or advertising, you can email us at labachelor40 at email. Dot com guys before I wrap up um the just to to get your thoughts on that vaccination question, how that will shape the league uh to to put a wrap on the football, Gary, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, it behooves teams and players and administration and everybody to to not follow the guidelines if if nothing else, if you want to have a shot, especially if you're a potential playoff team or you know, a perennial playoff team, you you want to make sure that you're on the up and up, Gary. When a player is not vaccinated and another player gets infected and they have to get to a game, they will not get that paycheck for that game. I'll bet you I'll guarantee you as an everybody Yeah, but I, I mean, I you know, again, I, I love Gary T because he's he's the glasses half full guy, you know, with the optimism and stuff. But uh, guys, we've already seen 
people resign their positions because they don't want to get vaccinated. I mean, I guess it's nice to be in that position to resign and have mm-hmm. some money or whatever. But I mean, I I'm not sure if everybody's going to do uh, the right thing, even with their teams and uh, on the line. Last year, 
where they're going to make it so that they can try to play certain games. No, you don't get, you don't comply. It's, it's not happening. Yeah, Gary, you were going to say. Someone just uh, put on the chat and said that, uh, um, you know, the preseasons are still games, too. It's not like the virus is going to oh, say, oh, well, we'll wait to regular. Oh, I, uh, that's, no, that's and I'm not saying that to you. I'm just telling what the people oh, say. Yeah. Oh, no, but no, but you're, you're absolutely correct. See, this is the – that's why I'm saying a month from now they're going to – you know, that's when you're whatever. Because, see, let's, let's be honest. This is a money grab for the NFL. These, these preseason games. If they could get away, right. if they could get away without having preseason games, they would. So they're going to be somewhat a little lax. Now everybody's played. It'll be interesting to see if any other uh, tests come uh, come up during the week. So far, you know, just you know, just the, the ones that we've heard from from before have come up, but. A lot can happen between now and Thursday. Hell, a lot can happen between now and a month from now. Where, because um, it's it's going to be interesting to see what you know if these teams apply now. You know, as much as I think Atlanta is probably going to not be that great of a team, the fact that they're all vaccinated, I got to look at them a little differently now because they basically right. have said, okay. We're gonna do this together. We may not be that great of a team. I mean, you know, again, I'm not saying they're gonna win the Super Bowl, but you know, just the fact that they've all made the, that they made the commitment to say, "Hey, we're gonna get this done," and you know, see what happens. Now they might still wind up being, you know, uh, three and fourteen, but who knows? Who knows? Right. And think about it too. I mean, whether it's a red state or you got people from red states or people who believe or against it, the fact that they all came together as a team, not being selfish, but being selfless um, to do it. I think that's the the biggest thing. Um, you know, your arm ain't going to fall off Kirk Cousins. Your arm ain't that good anyway. So uh, as Tony said, the arm meets the road. We'll see what happens. Uh, Gary, this must be a silver and black night because um, um, we've got someone that say, you know, why does Chucky get a pass? And I've been wondering that, too. He's been trading away players he shouldn't. Him and the quarterback don't get along. I don't know why he – because he, he – because, because, because Davis loves him. If you want to hear Gary start cussing, just mention Chucky. <laughs> But but Gary, I guess it's Mark Davis that just he's just enamored with him. That was his guy, you know. Um, and he's just he he's getting all these passes. But I don't. I mean, with all due respect. Would you be 
No. I don't know what he is. I'm telling you, he's got uh, maybe Chucky's got naked pictures of the owner. I, I don't know, but you know, I just thank don't. You. Thank you, thank you, thank you, LA. That that takes another star. A visual, yeah. But thank they'll you. be lucky thank to win six much. games in that division, and that's a pretty. That division's gonna not. It's not gonna be too bad. Like Kansas City wins it, but I think the Chargers will be better, and and I think Denver with that defense is gonna be good. So I think the Raiders will be at the bottom. Um, in that division, unfortunately, um, Gary, when you you look at um, uh, what they LA, got going on, LA, the Raiders have been eight and eight for the past three, four years now. I wouldn't be surprised if they be eight and eight again this year. It, it's it's ugh. my God, my God, they turned into the old Houston Oilers. It's repeat, it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I've never last five years. And he doesn't even take any blame for it. He's like, well, you know, we we got hit hard with injuries one year, and he was talking. Oh, I saw the interview. <laughs> like, hey, he's got a, hey, he's got a, he's in the, he's in the third year of a ten-year contract. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, hey, who am I talking about? I mean, black and gold, boy. Oh my God. I don't, I don't hey, even want to hey, talk hey, about hey. them. Yeah, they don't be yeah, horrible. We do. We do. We do. But we got one of the oldest overrated quarterbacks in the in the league too. Um, hey, hey, like I said, he'll be fine once his water breaks. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> See, T can say that now because he's he left the Oilers a long time ago, and then he I'm certainly he's not a Texan guy at all, so he can say these things about our squads. But you know, anyway, um, I I, I want to switch to baseball real quick. Go back to you, Gary. I I mean, T and I have been talking about uh, the West, the NL West in particular. Uh, you know, this was a uh, odd year. I don't remember if, if San Fran, the the years they got to the World Series was odd or even years, whichever, but I didn't expect them to be this good. Right. And I haven't expected them to bring uh, be this good uh, and have the stand power they have. Obviously, the Dodgers, they talk about the Padres. The Padres get Tatis back. But nine, I mean, the, the Giants are not going anywhere at this point. Um, Gary? Um, it's because it's because of the team, the team concept, and the pitching staff. What I mean is this: when you have a team concept, everybody back, everybody else up, okay? Yeah. You are bound to win games that you ain't supposed to win. That's happened to the Giants. So are you saying the Dodgers are just a bunch of great players, but they're not a team? Is that what you're saying? They're a bunch of, bunch of uh, uh, mediocre players playing together. Mm. No, I'm saying the Dodgers. What about the Dodgers? You're saying oh, they're I, a bunch I, of great I, players? I, what's wrong with them? They're overrated. They're overrated. They're really overrated. Yeah, something, well, they something got, lost, something, got something, something got lost between that last out in the World Series and now. I mean, I granted. Yeah, they're um, over, they're you know, overrated. Um, you know, as, as guys, I think their pitching dead. staff has let them down. See, their bullpen mm-hmm. has let them down. Well, the bullpen, the bull, you know, the bullpen's been, you know, although although they they came down to flushing this week and looked like the twenty seven Yankees, but that's a whole other story in in, in, in another <laughs> point. But but um, 
you know, just to be just to be devil's advocate here, how much credit do we give Kapler for this with the Giants? Yeah. How much? How much? Uh, how much? How much of a percentage of credit do we give Gabe Kapler here for the Giants? Kapler did not get. Did not get That's a great. That's Yeah, mm-hmm. and they 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 get your mess now, and it, you know you're right, Tony. Though with Kapler, I don't think he gets the credit for well, the, the moves he's been I've making. Watched, I've watched, you know, I've tried to watch, you know, their games on off nights to see if it's something that he's doing or if it's a, and look, pitching. Look, end of the day, pitching and defense is basically seventy percent of it. If you if you if you if you handle that and see. The thing with them is they're consistent, and I will give him this much of a credit. He's letting his starters pitch. He's not, you know, I don't see, he doesn't seem to be, you know, peeing in his pants when these guys get to like 90, 100 pitches, which has been one of my, which has been one of my pet peeves for years. I give, I give him that much. And the fact that they got Bryant, um, that just adds to it because, He's a guy that comes in there that can play five, six different positions, and they're able to, um, they're you know they're able to in a sense rest their guys, but they you know, you, know, you keep saying look, in June everybody was saying don't worry, come August they'll be you know whatever. Like Gary said, seventy six wins, man. Not you know, just the best people over people. Um, Overlook the uh, Giants and look towards San Diego. I, I was not impressed with San Diego in the first place. Well, San Diego, San Diego and, and they, they didn't impress me at all. Everybody mm-hmm. and and uh, of course San Diego lost a picture of course on the uh, on the uh, injured list now. But and but you know another team, T. I, I mean, it, as good as the Giants have been and, and consistent and the best record. How good are the, the 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 Brewers? Now I know they got the the injury bug has hit them, but mm-hmm. again they they're gonna win that division certainly. Uh, the, you know the Reds are trying to get in as a wild card, but you know the Brewers have been very good, awfully good all year. You know for all the Cy Young talk, uh, the guy in Milwaukee who's been basically striking out everybody. Uh, tell me somebody who's better than him right now. Yeah. I mean, I think you know. To me, to me, to me, he's the Cy Young Award winner right now, as far as as far as I'm concerned. And what's been the Brewers' problem the last couple of years? Consistent pitching. But it, you know, it just you know the Giants and the Brewers are are perfect testaments. So if you get pitching and score some runs, you'll be fine. And that and and that's been the thing. Even when they've had their little dips, they've always been they've they've been right there. And look. Um, the Do- you know the Dodgers basically admitted that that, that the Giants were for real when they went out and got uh, Serger and Turner because right. that was basically them saying, "Hey, we gotta catch these blankety blanks." And I believe right. they still have. I think they still got what six games left with each other. Yeah, three and three, three and three, 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now now apparently San Diego's picking up uh uh Jake Arietta. I think that that I think that screams desperate. Yeah, definitely desperate. Bringing bring him in. Man. Um but uh of course that's with uh what's the name going on the um injury list as well. Right. Uh Darvish. Right. And so mm-hmm. they they definitely had to make that move. And, you know, when I look at the East, I was talking to somebody who's actually a Braves fan and they said, "Well, maybe this division will beat each other up and whoever makes the playoffs will make a deep run." <laughs> so again, that might you be what, hey, hey, give them, you know what? Give them their due. They're in first place as of right now. So it's probably, you know, it's yeah, probably, it's probably yeah, Philly up. was in first place last week, though, and the Mets were in first place. And the, and the Mets were in first place two weeks ago. But again, that, that sort of proves the point in a sense where it's going to come down to, it's probably going to come down to uh, September. That's when unless somebody goes off on a tear or what have you. Uh, you know, Philly, you know, Philly had their little streak. Now they're coming back to earth. Look, I give the Braves credit when you consider they lost one of the best players in the game and they, you know, they didn't fall off the face of the earth. That, that, that says something about uh, Snicker as a manager. Right. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I want to bring this up because, because I think baseball, baseball is a home run last week with the Bills and Dreams game. I know some people say it's okay. It's okay thing to do, but, but I thought it was one of the one of the best things that baseball has done in many, many years to have this Bills Dreams game with yeah, the two teams, Chicago White Sox and the New York Yankees. I, I, it was, and, and the ninth inning home run, this, this, but icing on the cake with this, with this episode. But everything, you know, everything, everything works out in a sense perfectly for them. And they've already said they're going to come back next year. They'll probably have two different teams. But no, yeah. they'll do this. They'll do this. You know, they'll do this like they do the Little League Classic, which is uh, this weekend. And right. it, it just, you know, it's it, it's you know. It just lets you know when baseball wants to get it right, they can get it right sometimes. But I think I think what's good for for baseball this year in particular um, is to see the Giants good again, uh, the Brewers being consistent. I, I, I'm glad Cincinnati may not make it, but they're over 500, right? I mean, um, you look at uh, a, a team like the White Sox. So I've been calling for them for a couple of years. They're finally showing that they. They can play. I, I think it's good for baseball when you have some of these markets, not the Cubs, but the White Sox, you know, not the Cardinals, but the Brewers, not the uh, – obviously the Dodgers are still there, but the Giants are in first place. I think it's good for baseball to see those teams. And Tampa, once again, by the way, is there again at, as one of the best teams in the East and, and in the American League. So I think it's overrated when you get into these markets. See, I said this years ago, I – as a Yankee fan, I don't want to see Red Sox Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball every year. Oh, I don't. I, I don't I want to so, see it. So I'm telling yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but East Coast bias by anyone. But if they say, it's, yeah. it's, it's too much. It's too much. You know, when you when you you know when you force that on folks, you know, it's 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 too much. Now, 
look, we catch it. I catch it here because of the, you know, because of where I live. So, you know, I, I can't, I can't hide from it, but the rest of the country shouldn't be uh, forced to, um, to have to deal with that as well. Look, I get it. This is a rivalry and all the, but there are other, look, Cardinals Cubs, it's just as good a rivalry, if not possibly better than Yankees, you know, Yankees Red Sox. There, right. I said it. Well, tell me about it because I went to SIU and Cubs 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 Giants Cubs and 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 and and, and by the way, you got to win some games, Yankees, this year to have a rivalry with the Red Sox, let alone to, to even win the division. The way they've been getting beat, you know. Um, but but it, and now, like like T's like, no, it's not about we doing better than the Yankees. It's about winning the division. Well, it's not about us beating Boston. We need to beat Tampa. Tampa's the, the standard now um, in the East. And it's like, you know, everybody, it's almost like the NL East, T and Gary, where, you know, if you get a Baltimore coming around, then everybody goes on a win streak. So, you know, Boston just swept them, and the Yankees did that, and the Toronto did it. So, you know, they – I mean, it's, I, it, I think it's Tampa's to, to, to lose. I think they, well, they well, won I'm, it. I'm, but one of these, you know, one of these days, Toronto's going to get a pitching staff, and there's going to be hell to pay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> hey, you know what, what, what's surprising is the winning – Attitude of Tampa Bay now. You have Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa Bay, uh, 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 Lightning. Lightning. We've seen the Stanley Cup twice. Which we haven't seen. And Gary, we haven't seen a lot of that in hockey. They've been. I don't think people give them credit. I guess this is not give credit night because I think the Lightning have been. Solid for forget the titles. I mean, they've just been in the mix for, for some time now. They were like they were like those late seventies, early eighties Islanders teams before they finally yeah. broke through yeah. because they because they had to go through a lot of heartache before they got there, and now and now they broke because see. Now, because look, even when they won last year, everybody looked at it with a sort of a jaunted eye because of the COVID. But they came out. They came out, and you know, they were they were the best team <laughs> from day one to day last this year. And and even and, and even though they lost a couple of guys in the expansion draft, they still kept uh, they still kept the nucleus. Hell, yep. Corey uh, Corey Price from the Montreal from Montreal basically said, "If you can't beat them, join them." I don't see him getting. Yeah. The, I don't see him getting the uh, the uh, the um, KD uh, treatment though. And you know, the um, Nick Anastas was on. We were d- during hockey season, and he said, "Listen, the fans ain't worried about the. I, I wanted the Islanders by the window went went so bad. I mean, because get, it's been so there. long. But they're getting there. But right. But it, it, he said, no. Everybody's not worried about these other teams. They're worried about Tampa. That's it." That's the standard. Yeah, Bruins fans are like, no, that's the standard. And the reason, the reason why the Tampa Bay is so good is because they're so fast. If you watch, if you watch the third and fourth line, they are the fastest lines I've ever seen. I mean, you 
The thing to me is I can't compare them to anybody. Right. You really you know you somebody tried to say know? somebody right. said if they win another one they 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 you start looking at Edmonton, but I don't Edmonton was a different team. That's yeah, those teams. Yeah, Edmonton Edmonton you know, Edmonton would you know, Edmonton would 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 whoop you thirteen to nothing and you'd actually enjoy it. But these guys they just <laughs> It's methodical. They grind you out. It's methodical. It's methodical right. because they can win either way. They can grind, and like Gary said, they can skate with anybody. Uh, now, now, arguably, they may have the best one-two goalie punch in the yep. league. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and they'll be, they'll be raised. I mean, Black Lightning is could be one of the best teams. And and they're relatively and they're relatively young. I guess Stamkos is uh, the the grizzled veteran, so to speak. But yes, yeah. the, the the core of their team is in that twenty five to thirty range. So, you know, barring injury or complacency or uh, they don't have the salary cap, so yeah, yeah. But you know, barring, barring, barring something ridiculous or or another team emerging, you know, they're they're gonna be there for a while. Yeah, it was nice to see Montreal, but you know, I mean, they Tampa's just outclassing everybody right now. Class oh, yeah. in terms was, of the, told, the talent and the grinding. Yeah, they they it, it wasn't. It really wasn't. You, nobody. I, I, I'm sure you guys didn't expect them to to. To beat Tampa, the, the way Tampa plays. I know, again, I didn't. I uh, thought it was going to yeah. be, I thought it was going to be a poor, a poor game to me. That's what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think, right. I think the league, I think the league went to him and said, "Give him a game, will you please? Will you please?" <laughs> <laughs> final, uh, final question uh, to to you, Gary, and going back to baseball. I mean. Say what you want. I'm not a big buddy, you know, small ball guy, but the athletics are there again. Do they have a shot to overtake Houston? No, no, no. Look, mate. Okay. okay. LA, 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 baseball, I have to get back to baseball. What I mean is this. I think I'm tired of a long, long ball. I think I'm tired of that. Yeah. I want to see, I want to see, hit and run. I want to see, throw the bases. I want to see, triples. That's what I want to see. I want to see the big old man. What's the way the ball go out of the ball, but it's good. Stop it, stop it. <laughs> And, and uh, Tony, I I, I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, being a Yankee fan, obviously I'm a, a root for them, but I don't want to see Houston turn out to be, um, you know, those those great Detroit teams and those Celtics teams, current, you know, the the more modern ones that won one mm-hmm. title, but they got they were there all the time, but they got the one mm-hmm. title out of it. I mean, Detroit mm-hmm. uh, uh, a little more consistent. I don't want to see Houston do that. They got the title. Are they going to, you know, struggle in the playoffs uh, uh, again and and lose? No, I think they'll get in the playoffs. Look, um, this season setting it up to be, you know, there's an argument for, you know, for all the teams that are in first place and are 
fighting for division, you know, fighting for like a wild card. There's legitimate. There's a legitimate thing of they could possibly win the World oh, Series. Yeah. Yeah, there is. There, there really is. It's because see, I'll use the NL East as an example. If any one of those three uh, idiots go on a 10, 12 game winning streak, they're you in. know, they're yeah. in. And now, now probably only one team is going to get in in that division probably because I'm guess you know put it this way. It's it's you know the the Giants are gonna gonna win the West. It's just a matter of whether the Dodgers or the Padres are gonna get that uh, are gonna get the wild card. Well, they're talking about they're talking about all uh, all three: the Dodgers, Dodgers, uh, Padres, and Giants. And two wild cards, two wild cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a it's a it could possibly. Matter of fact. What could be funny is your wild card playing game could be Dodgers Padres. Yeah, that's yeah. what it's set up, and it it looks like it could be it'll be Oakland Boston too if the if it started too. My 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 um my money is still on the Mets still to take that. I, they're they're the more complete team out of those three, and well, like you uh, said, the Braves injury. I think they're in a better well, position. Well, Put put some money aside just in case, though. So I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you. What point I want people to understand this point right here. What did, what Major League Baseball did, they should be ashamed of themselves. What I mean is this. The Houston Astros cheated in 19, wherever, wherever year that was, they cheated. They fired the general manager, they fired the head coach. He's a great manager. He's a great, he's a great teacher of the game too. Like players love playing for him, but you know, and if he doesn't win, he's the he's the um, the Tony Dungy of it. Like in terms of that, you know, maybe it wasn't, you know, uh, he didn't get the credit um, he should have he he should have gotten. But I, I don't know. Uh, I, I still think Houston is a solid team, and and I I still think I still like Tampa right now, um, but. I wouldn't be surprised if Houston goes like Tony says and takes it all the way um, and wins the World Series. It'd be good for them uh, if they do. Um, that's it for us. Uh, if you missed any part of our broadcast, thanks to uh, Tony T. Matt McQueen and G&G, Gary Norris Gray, uh, of course, hosts of the Gray Leopard Cove, and, and Tony T. Matt McQueen, of course, uh, the editor-in-chief of Black Athletes Sports Network. If you missed any part of the broadcast, go to our website, thebastardnews.airtime.pro. show airs 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 11 to 4 on Sunday. Interested in advertising or having your own show, make sure you email us at um, labachelor40 at gmail.com.